real hog. <laughs> on the Ritz. Who's that? Co- which version? Which band does that version we just heard? That's Shiny Toy Guns. Shiny Toy Guns. I mm. am partial to the version by Taco. Taco. I like the From Young the Frankenstein a- version myself with uh, uh, Peter Boyle and uh, Gene Wilder. Not familiar. Ooh, I've actually never seen, seen I've never seen no. Young Frankenstein. Oh my god. Yeah, sue me. I've never seen Gone with the Wind either. I've seen thousands of movies, <laughs> but not those there two. Are, there are a lot. There are. So I was like, oh my god, you never saw that movie? Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I'm Mike Jackman, your host of Jackman Radio. And I'm still Eric Jackman, your other host. And as always, our point man, the beautiful Aaron LaFawn, joining us. Tonight's going to be a great episode. All kinds of great current events, political news, uh, you know, basic bullshit we'll break down for you. And a special guest calling in from Hollywood. This is our first like big Hollywood guest. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, well, we had well Farrington was in. I don't. He wasn't in Hollywood. He was South, uh, South Beach. He was somewhere else. He was in California. But uh, the reason we played putting on the Ritz is we have um, a very esteemed celebrity hairstylist and image consultant, the one and only Mr. Daniel DeCrecio. We'll be calling in shortly from Hollywood, and we're going to do a great interview with him. Lots of stuff to talk about. Now, Very you, excited about Eric that. Secured this interview. I don't. I don't want to say how, um, but uh, yeah, I lined this interview up with uh, Mr. DeCrecio and uh, really excited to talk to him. He's a very interesting guy. Um, has worked with you know household names out in Hollywood, making them look beautiful and glamorous. And um, we are excited to hear what he has to say. If you saw most of those people first thing in the morning, you know, before they get done up and airbrushed, you'd probably be horrified oh yeah yeah they would look human like the rest of us <laughs> well before we get to that um, obviously we've discussed the JFK assassination I think in passing a couple times on the program within the first uh, 10 episodes and certainly down the road we're going to get into it a lot deeper and uh, there's I think a guest coming on soon who has a great book about Very the JFK soon assassination June. that little uh, teaser for you we're going to be balls. speaking with yes yeah, so Although by the time this episode comes out, we'll probably be, you know, first or second week into June. Anyways, there was an article that came out this week from Politico.com entitled, Why the Last of the JFK Files Could Embarrass the CIA. Among the 40,000 documents are roughly 3,600 that have never been seen by the public. And I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from this article and we can kind of break it down and, and you know, give our thoughts on uh, what's going on. But the gist of it, it says, Shortly after the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy, Chief Justice Earl Warren, who oversaw the first official inquiry, was asked by a reporter if the full record would ever be made public. Yes, there will come a time, the chairman of the Warren Commission responded, but it might not be in your lifetime. It will soon be in ours, that is, unless the CIA, FBI, or other agencies still holding on to thousands of secret documents from a series of related probes convince the next occupant of the White House otherwise. A special team of seven archivists and technicians with top-secret security clearances has been set up at the National Archives and Records Administration to process all or portions of 40,000 documents that constitute the final collection of known federal records that might shed light on the events surrounding JFK's murder, Politico has learned. Files that, according to law, must be made public by October 2017. 
so this is this is some interesting stuff. I was excited to see this come out on Politico and, and being discussed because you know you had the Assassinations Review Board, which came out uh, during the uh, you know H W Bush administration in 92, 91, 92, early nineties after the movie JFK came out. You know, saying you know in twenty five years certain records have to come out about this. So my thing is though, why you know if it was just Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone, why is there anything? classified well it's just it's just so obvious to anybody like you or i mike who really care about this case and who have spent any substantial time researching and reading about it um and talking about it that uh you know jfk's murder was a removal it was done by elements of our own government it was covered up uh at the highest levels uh, including lyndon johnson and former cia director alan dulles uh you know richard bissell uh, uh charles cabell there's a whole cadre of names of guys who were there at the very beginning of the CIA, which it was in the early days, was the OSS, right. the Office of Strategic Services, uh, after World War II, and um, basically, man, it's it's uh, it's an admission, it's it's a coming clean, it's a catharsis for our nation. We are in an empire like Rome, and uh, you know, Rome was full of secrets. It had a leader that was uh, was murdered, right, by and, members of right of his own its Senate, own, its own, yeah. <clears throat> so the, the story itself is as old as empire. And I've come to the conclusion, I'll tell anybody this, that uh, the murder of, of John F. Kennedy was, was, you know, carried out by his own national security state and the cover-up, which has ensued 51, well, this year, 52, 52 years later, in November. Is, has, the media has been in concert with, you know, the official story, the Warren Commission, which is complete bullshit, which, you know, a third grader could poke holes through. So the names that come up in that article, E. Howard Hunt... Uh, David Atlee Phillips, George Joannides. These names, we've been anyone who's been researching the Kennedy assassination have been hearing these names since day one. Right, for many decades. Right, there's a reason for that. And although it was called the the, the Warren Report, um, you know, kind of the person tasked with really getting the thing together and uh, leading the charge, going down to Dallas and trying to you know plant the Oswald story was the former head of the CIA. Alan Dulles, Alan who Dulles. was fired by John F. Kennedy right. after the Bay of Pigs debacle. So, who better than to lead the cover-up than the very man that John F. Kennedy fired and, you know, blamed the Bay of Pigs on, among other things, and also threatened to neuter the CIA, scatter it to the winds, shatter it to a thousand pieces. It's all right there. I mean, just connect the dots. It's, 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 right. pretty, it's pretty obvious what happened. You and know? the thing is, the country and a lot of politicians uh, respected and trusted a guy like Earl Warren. And yeah. um, it's come to light, I think, fairly recently that President Johnson kind of had to strong arm him and, and convince him to kind of put yeah. his stamp on it there, and, and be the, the face in the front yeah, of it. Yeah, there's some phone calls that uh, are, you can hear him up on YouTube, him calling um, um, Earl Warren and evoking patriotism and the country needs to heal and this and that. But anybody who knew Lyndon Johnson, who was close to them, who d had dealings with him back then, knew there was always something more. There was always something more than what was at the surface. He had something this else guy going was a, on. This guy was a master schemer. A psychopath, a murderer. Uh, based, Bobby Kennedy called him a monster, you know? And he right. was. Lyndon Johnson was a monster. Yeah, that's interesting stuff. So the article continues. Among the 40,000 documents are roughly 3,600 that have never been seen by the public, as I mentioned earlier. They have been withheld in full, primarily because they contain information that was considered security classified but also to protect personal privacy, tax, and grand jury information, and because information in the document reveals the identity of an unclassified confidential source. So, you know, this is interesting stuff. I mean, you're, you're talking about two official government investigations, the Warren Commission, which concluded in 1964, as well as the House Select Committee on Assassinations, uh, I believe, in 1978. Late 70s. And there were several people who were testifying to both, um, especially the, the the latter, which kind of the House Select Committee, which really dug into certain areas that the Warren Commission didn't really go to, that ended up uh, you know being killed or dying in pretty sure. uh, bizarre circumstances. Um, right. One name that comes to mind is uh, George DeMorenschild. Of course. And uh, you know we can talk more about him in a later episode, but basically the crux of George DeMorenschild, uh, he was a member of the Dallas, you know, the Texas uh, Petroleum Organization. Um, was was personal friends with George H. W. Bush, and then somehow, 
you know, comes into contact with Lee Harvey Oswald. Takes interest in this guy. Takes interest in Lee Harvey Oswald and his wife Marina. A seemingly nobody. You know, a nobody with no money, no status, and uh, kind of hangs out with him and keeps an eye on him. So Brings him under his wing. Right, exactly. And, and, and you know, in the, in the mid to late 70s, kind of towards the end of, of this guy's life, uh, he penned a letter to George H.W. Bush after he became director of the CIA kind of saying, oh, maybe I've said too much about Oswald and I'm kind of in a bad situation and I could use your help. So that's an interesting letter to read. Um, anyways, uh, back to E. Howard Hunt, who Eric mentioned earlier, who's uh, perhaps one of the most infamous CIA agents uh, you oh, know, yeah. on He's, record. Man, he was involved in a lot. Um, there are at least 332 pages of material on E. Howard Hunt alone. An almost mythical spymaster who was most famous for running the ring that broke into Democratic Party headquarters in Washington's Watergate Hotel in 1972, setting in motion the events that led to the resignation of President Richard Nixon. Right. Now, there's been some talk, uh, especially from E. Howard Hunt's son, St. John Hunt, about what the real deal was with the whole Watergate affair. Yeah, he calls Watergate and, like an onion. And perhaps Many Nixon, layers. Nixon was maybe being set up by Creep, the yeah, committee, well, you know, to reelect the president. Um, you know, certain members of Creep who actually didn't want to reelect the president that were involved in the Republican National Committee, um, who had ties to some of these White House plumbers. And they were after a safe in the Watergate Hotel that contained documents that Nixon said was related to the Bay of Pigs thing. Yeah, quote unquote, that whole Bay of Pig thing, Pigs right. thing. Right, exactly. Which Roger Stone has confirmed uh, whenever Richard Nixon talks about that, he's really talking about the Kennedy assassination. Right, exactly. And E. Howard Hunt, um, who d- died in 2007 at a rather old age, I think he was 91. Or no, he was like 88. He was in his late 80s. He was in his late 80s. Shortly before he died in 2007, he claimed that he had been privy to a plot by several affiliates to kill Kennedy, which he referred to as the big event. Now, there's an interesting audio recording of E. Howard Hunt when he was very sick and thought to be on his deathbed, uh, you know, talking to his son, St. John about, you know, the assassination and who some of the players... He dropped some names. Some of the names. What were some of the names? These are the household names that if you are someone who's dug into the Kennedy assassination, Cord Meyer, David Morales, Bill Harvey, Bill Harvey, who the Kennedys hated, who Bobby Kennedy hated, um, Frank Sturgis, you know... Um, so a lot of people who were associated with anti-Castro, you know, in anti-Castro Cuban activity in the early 60s um, as part of the CIA's operation to try and... Yeah, these, these were the guys, uh, some of these guys went back to the, the, the coup of Arbenz in um, uh, Guatemala, Guatemala in, the fi- in the 50s, the early 50s, which E. Howard Hunt was, was uh, a part of, and I believe even Porter Gar- Goss was a part of. Right, who later became head of the CIA during the Bush, the W. Right. Bush so administration. Right, so it's, you know, it's a small group of guys, but these, the like I said, these these recurring names keep coming up, and, and these connections, and you can't you can't dismiss Howard Hunt. Now, he, there's a couple of names that he didn't mention that I do believe should have belonged on that list, and one of which is Jim Angleton. Jim Angleton, who was the chief of counterintelligence for the CIA for decades. I mean, this, this guy is your spy spy. Right. I mean, he had the goods on everybody. Very, you know, confidant of Alan Dulles, um, you know, protege of Alan Dulles. Wasn't he known as Mother? Yeah, they called him Mother. I mean, the guy knew everything about it. He had the goods on everybody. And, um, you know, an operation like that had Jim Angleton's fingerprints all over and then covering it up after the fact, getting the disinfo out there, building the Oswald legend. I mean, it, it, it's obvious who did it. We, we know who did it. These guys did it. So right, they were involved. It's time, it's time the that the government, it's time that we come clean and we have a catharsis and we recognize that we had a sitting U.S. president that was violently removed mm-hmm. by elements of his own government. Right, exactly. Aaron, did you want to chime in or, or, or did you have a thought? Uh, yeah, are we full of shit, Aaron? I mean, call, call us out here. Just, yeah, I mean, with are, all the JFK stuff, I just, I think at this point, even like if there was a full blown confession, like if Barack Obama came, went on television at prime time tomorrow and like wow. <laughs> told told everyone everything that went down, like I really don't think it would. Like it's been so long at this point, and I think what would I think you know it's like. Seventy percent of people believe it was an inside job, anyway. Like I think that's you know, true, regardless of what the media yeah, says. Yeah, yeah. I your average think, Americans. Has I just a, think it like people just don't like don't it, care. It, it wouldn't, or people wouldn't be surprised. It, yeah, and it wouldn't ma- like matter at this point. I think it's been so long. Like I don't think the CIA can be embarrassed like this many years later. 
Well, there might be a few players that are still alive Not or many, per- peripherally, you know, there might be some people. Right, and they'll get some shit from, like, their buddies. But, like, other than that, like, I... I and, you know, I love, I love the thing how people say, well, people would have talked. Tons of people have talked. People have talked. Yeah, people yeah. have talked. Yeah. Right. And, you know? and, and back to the church committee, um, the, the uh, investigation in the 70s, which looked into other, you know, corruption issues and uh, CIA-related activity, um, uh, withheld within the interviews are, you know... Stories about JM Wave. That's the code name for the secret CIA station overseeing covert operations in Cuba that was located on the campus of the University of Miami. And files on the obscure figure who ran its psychological operations branch, George Joannides. This, the, the, he, this is an interesting cat right here. It was revealed in a previous document released in 2009 that Joannides had links to some of the same anti-Castro forces that were connected to Lee Harvey Oswald, something that was never shared with the Warren Commission back in 1964. Meanwhile, Joannides also served as the liaison between the agency and the House Assassinations Panel that reopened JFK's murder in 1978 and inquired about the agency's links to Oswald. But Joannides never told the, the panel about his role in Miami, a failure that the federal judge who ran the Assassination Records Review Board recently said amounted to treachery. The CIA has acknowledged in a recent lawsuit that there are more than 50 documents about Joannides' activity in 1963 and 1978. So, you want to talk about a I mean, fox guarding the hen house? <laughs> these, yeah, this was the guy who was allowing the investigators, including uh, Ed Lopez from the Lopez right, Report, right. what he could see, what he couldn't see, and uh, you know, watching over him the whole time. Meanwhile, yeah, keep in control of the flow of information. You know, if these con- people in Congress and the investigators had any idea who this Joe Anidis guy was, and what he was he actually been a one part of the of people that they were interviewing and investigating. investigating. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. you know. It's it's so just a couple more points here on this article, then we'll move on to another topic because obviously this is one you know area that we've been interested in for you know more than half our lives. And it's nice to see some news on it. Others who have closely followed the paper trail also wonder whether the additional files will shed light on how the federal government seemingly went to great lengths to obstruct the investigation into the JFK assassination and Oswald's killing while in police custody a few days later by Jack Ruby, the nightclub owner with mafia ties. I mean, Jack Ruby's a whole nother, that's a whole nother case right there, you know. Adam Walensky, who worked in the Kennedy Justice Department, believes that the mounting evidence over the years of a purposely botched autopsy of the president and the multiple suicides of so many figures connected to the events strongly suggests such a cover-up from high levels. Walensky suspects that the documents could reveal more about the role of the FBI under the direction of President Lyndon Johnson and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover in preventing any serious investigation of the assassination at the time. Oh yeah, J. Edgar took shit to his grave that he knew about the killing. I wonder what you, know? I wonder what you get paid to botch an autopsy. Yeah, I mean, that I, guy, I, hope, I hope that guy got paid. Yeah, how well. are you approached about that? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, the person they had doing the autopsy at Bethesda, I, I believe, was someone who'd never performed an autopsy on any kind of bullet wounds <laughs> in a body. It's, I mean, you're talking about one of the most important autopsies. Uh, in, services, in, in, they don't have their own autopsy. In recorded history. Well, I mean, when they when Kennedy was was shot, he was rushed to Parkland Hospital down in right, Dallas, right. and was all it the, exactly planned or well, was it? Oh. All the attending physicians. <laughs> down there observed a massive blowout in the right rear of, of his head which indicates a shot from the front yeah and, and the throat yeah, wound was a en- point the, of entry the throat wound being an and entry and then they wound. fucked that up and stuck so, their fingers in there and thought I mean, it was like a, a warm apple pie or, yeah. or something there's a myriad of information yeah physical circumstantial it, political boil it down and JFK was removed he was taken out. He was taken out, man. And, you know, and today, Marina Oswald Porter, Lee Harvey Oswald's widow, does not believe that he did it, and he does believe he was some kind of low-level government agent. Yeah. So maybe some of that information Just will come Google out. Just Google that shit, folks. Let's look at Lee Harvey Oswald's tax, tax records, you know. If, he, if there's nothing to hide... And it was just one person doing this thing. Why can't we see his tax records? Yeah, so we'll question. end on that note. And it's uh, fucking raining outside. That's yeah, the it's raining. Like crazy. Sound you hear in the background. Good thing you put the uh, wood, Woodstock tarp on your Jeep there, Aaron. Yeah, I got the top off my Jeep. <laughs> I had to get a big, like, black tarp for it because I'm I'm too lazy to. Oh, I mean that it's effective though. 
You, you, the seats yeah, we'll in your see. Jeep are going to be a, warm. This is the first time I'm using it tonight. So yeah. we'll, we'll tonight's see. episode is, is a, uh, you know, a warm spring night and sponsored by Bud Light Lime. The best summer beer money can buy. How wonderful. You can't get hung over because it tastes like seltzer. Right, are you getting some pocket money for the, this plug? Or? No, I spent money to make this plug. <laughs> what else is going on, Eric? Is there, uh, you know, what's going on with the 2016 race? Give us an update on who entered and how that's looking. Um, you got Rick Santorum and George Pataki uh, officially entering, I think, uh, what, today? Or... Right. I don't know. Bernie Sanders did his official announcement In today. Burlington to 7,000 people. 7,000 people showed up for Free that. Free Ben and Jerry's for all up there, by the way. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was kind of cool to see that. Um, yeah, Pataki and Santorum. Um, Santorum uh, kind of has done a little bit of rebranding since he last ran. He's trying to... Uh, He's supporting raising the minimum wage to 15 an hour. Santorum supports that? Yeah. For McDonald's work, for fast food workers, or for everybody? For just a na- uh, raising a, and mandating a national minimum wage of $15 an hour. Wow. I couldn't believe that. So he's trying to broaden his appeal a little bit uh, for like a general election sense. But he but wants to make sure those workers, you know, uh, can't have abortions, right? He's still... Yeah, yeah. No, no. No abortions. Okay, so no abortions. No, no. Okay. No, no. Yeah. He's still on that. Still defends his Iraq war vote. Uh, he hasn't, I don't know that he's really been asked about it like Jeb Bush has been asked about it, because, you know, Jeb Bush's brother got all that bullshit going. Yeah, you asked, uh, you asked Santorum about the Iraq War back in, uh, 2012. At yeah. At a New Hampshire event well, that we I attended. Kinda, what was that, what was that all about? Well, I kind of just posited to him that he was very, very anti-abortion, so he's against the killing of young, innocent babies. But he was one of the guys that cooked up the Iraq War, which in turn led to the killing of tons of innocent babies in Iraq. And I, po- I posited the question to him in kind of in that framework, and he laughed at me. He just laughed at you. He laughed, and he would not answer it. Hmm. He didn't like it. Sounds like when you asked Hillary Clinton about her alleged attendance to the Bilderberg Group. Yeah, that's their, that's their defense. They just kind of laugh, you know? Right. Speaking of which, the, uh, the Christmas gift for conspiracy theorists across the world is the annual <laughs> Bilderberg oh, yeah. meeting that happens uh, during the summer. And... Um, this summer, the confab will happen in Austria from June 11th to June 14th, Arnold's home country. Arnold's backyard. And, you know, basically the history of the Bilderberg Group, uh, since the 50s, uh, the royal family from the Netherlands kind of had this uh, off-the-record informal meeting um, and gathering of elites and wealthy people from commerce, baking, uh, banking, government, um, you know, corporations from all over the world to get together, like, you know, 150, 200 of them to discuss what they think should happen and what direction the world should take and what kind of recommendations they're going to make. Isn't that what the UN is supposed to do? Well, they, they got cameras <laughs> at the UN. And, yeah, and that's <laughs> a dog and pony show. Yeah, exactly. But this so. is like a informal, off-the-record, um, media is not allowed inside, but uh, nonetheless, we know about it and hear about it, but it's kind of kind of just like laughed off a little bit, Right. Well, in recent years, they've had to kind of acknowledge that they uh, have these meetings and, you know, kind of vaguely what they're doing because you've had people, authors and reporters like Daniel Estelin and uh, Jim Tucker, who've been tracking these guys for decades and going to these meetings and, uh, you know, photographing and shooting film of all these people getting together at these hotels. And, uh, you know, it certainly raises some questions. I don't think it's as nefarious as... Uh, They're evil. Is, or as evil as some people would paint it. Um, I know I like to be off the record when I hang out with my friends and get together That's with true. people. I don't want a camera in my face. Right, and, you don't want a recording of everything you said. Right, but, you know, the, the, the one point people would make who, who were kind of opposed to this meeting and, um, you know, question uh, the veracity of it, you know, would be these are influential people. Um, it's, a, it's a mixture of government and private. Right. And, uh, you know, we should know what our elected officials are doing in these closed-door meetings and what they're talking about and what the implications and ramifications are um, of these meetings. So, you know, that's a good point. Um, and it's been alleged that uh, Jeb Bush might be attending uh, this year's Bilderberg meeting. Really? He will be over uh, in Europe. He'll be in Poland, Estonia, and Germany. In early June. He won't be far. No, he'll be, you know, probably within 100 miles. He'll of, be in the ballpark. Of this hotel. So there's kind of been some speculation that he might attend. So I hope he does. I think, you know, any presidential candidate should be asked about it. I mean, it was it was alleged in Northern Virginia in 2008 that uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton both attended the Bilderberg group meeting, uh, which they had there, I believe. In Chantilly. In Chantilly. Right. Because they both disappeared 
for sure. some time. They kind of did a, a little uh, bait and switch. All the press showed up on one of their planes, and uh, neither of the candidates were there. Interesting. So, interesting stuff. Uh, I'm glad it's being discussed and talked about, and uh, we certainly want to make people aware of it. You know, just to look into it. Yeah. You know, rather check than, it out. Yeah, just I mean, I don't know. Take a peek. Something different. Yeah. That's cool. I, would you go if you were invited? Would you go? Yeah, I get I, you know, I get my put on the Ritz. I get my best suit and yeah. Oh yeah, up. you gotta go. Absolutely. Yeah, you go, for the story. You go to the Bilderberg oh, meeting, right, fuck Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what though? I bet you. They it's make you boring. fucking fill out all this paperwork. Confidentiality oh, shit. Oh my god, there's probably pages of probably yeah. have to have a lawyer to fucking sit down with you. You won't talk and about then by, the little... Yeah, by fucking t- after 20 minutes sitting with a lawyer filling out paperwork, you're probably like, you know, fuck this. All right, you agree not to talk about the Filipino lady boys that were brought in for the royal family? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's yeah. take a quick second to pause and play the audio of <laughs> Eric confronting Hillary Clinton about her alleged attendance to the Bilderberg group. Check it out. Senator Clinton, how you doing? I'm good, how are you Can doing? Can I ask you a quick question while you sign that? Sure. It was reported in June of 2006, you attended a meeting in Ottawa, Canada, the Bilderberg Group. Can you comment on that? What do you, what's going on for the Bilderberg meeting and what do you guys talk about up there? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. I was reported you were up there and people saw you up there. I just want to know what you guys talk about and meet about up there. Uh, sir, I don't Why know. Why are what they you're such I... top secret meetings? I have no idea what you're talking you're about. Your husband went to a Bilderberg meeting too. Yeah. I'm just wondering. I'm not being rude or anything. No, I, I, I just, I I just want to know what I happens at these meetings. Well, uh, since I wasn't there, I have no idea. Okay, thank you, Senator. Thank you. How are you? All right, so that was a clip of Hillary Clinton uh, when I asked her about her attendance to the Bilderberg Group. And now joining us on the line from beautiful, sunny Beverly Hills, the one and only fashion messiah, Daniel DeCrecio. Daniel, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing awesome. We are. Uh, cool. We're very thrilled uh, to have you, man. Th- thank you so much for joining us. I'm just here, laying by the pool under the palm trees, getting suntans. So. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> we're just uh, we're we're here in the base of a uh, th- uh, three thousand foot mountain in New Hampshire, in southern New Hampshire, and it's. Uh, wow, are you wearing a bathing suit or? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, suit? I'm wearing a uh, polo and my underwear, which are briefs, bo- bo- boxer briefs. Oh man. <laughs> so I'll just tell the people a little bit about who you are. Um, Daniel DeCrecio is a celebrity hairstylist and image consultant known for his work with Paula Jones, Pamela Anderson, Anna Nicole Smith, and a whole cadre of other high-profile clients. Um, DeCrecio got international recognition for his jaw-dropping public makeover of President Clinton's accuser Paula Jones during the Clinton sex scandal. And prior to that, DeCrecio had worked with O.J. Simpson trial players Cato Caitlin and Faye Resnick. And he's kind of been around out there in Beverly Hills for uh, the last couple of decades, making a real name for himself and making all those stars look fabulous. So, Daniel, what are you, uh, what are you up to these days? What's, uh, what's a, uh, well, actually, before we get to that, why don't you just tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up. Um, what kind of childhood you had and kind of what inspired you to become the person you are now? Hey, well, I'm originally from Wilmington, Delaware. I was born and raised there. And uh, very, I was a conservative kind of Republican upbringing because that's what it was back then, real Republican area, very well-to-do area. Um, you know, went to public schools. Um, you know, it was really... Very nice. I was very creative as a kid, and uh, also I was very diverse. I liked um, sports. I liked any kind of thing. I liked sports. I liked creativity. I was very easy to deal with. Um, I was into swimming, lifeguarding, normal kind of childhood, and uh, you know that was me pretty much. And that was that was great upbringing. I mean, it was a great way to be brought up. Like you know, really like a city person. I love being in the city though. Right, so uh, Wilmington. I mean, what's Wilmington like? Is that is that a, a big city or a suburb? I mean, I've never really been there. Well, Wilmington, Delaware is the credit card capital of the United States. That's where you send your bills to if you look on your envelope return addresses. <laughs> That's where the bills come from. <laughs> yeah, it's also Biden country. Biden was a friend of my family when I was growing up. But um, no, it was a suburb. But they have downtown, which is a city, but it's not like New York. It's a small city. 
Um, but it's very nice and um, very clean. You know, it's a really nice place. Can't really say much bad about it except, you know, small town mines a little bit, you know. Sure. And I have a big mine. Sure. And I mean, sure. I mean, I mean, and 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 who and and what was it that inspired you to kind of go into the direction towards um, image consulting and style and fashion? I mean, was there a moment when you were young where you saw somebody who was someone you looked up to, or did you just kind of always in the back of your mind say, "This is kind of what I want to do with my life"? Well, when I was a little kid, I mean, this is kind of boring. I want to say anyway. When I was little, like really little, like four, I remember and. I remember taking pictures of magazines and ripping them out of the women or whatever and putting them on the, on the couch and next to each other and going, okay, who's more beautiful? I used to say to my family members. And that's how I started. But when I got older, I just naturally, even though I was very diverse with my interests and activities, even in school, I would be telling people what to wear, what to do, how to say, hair, this, that. People would come to me. It was really bizarre. So then what happened was, of course, my mother saw this when I was in college and she's like, do me a favor. She's like, go to hair school. I was going to say, what? Because <laughs> I was just like, hair school? And I'm like, but I'm, you know, undergrad, you know, she goes, no, trust me, I'm your mother, I know. She goes, you're not a hairdresser, you're an artist. And I was like, okay, so she said, I'll pay for everything, don't worry about it. So I think this is a true story. So I went and checked out all the schools for her, and I went at nighttime, and I finished. And of course, when I was in hair school, they told me when I graduated that, I should work for someone who's like amazing or just open my own because I excelled so fast in the school and it was like a natural talent and I didn't even know I had it. So that's how it all began. So originally, um, where were you in college and what were you studying originally? Oh my God. Well, see, the thing was with college, um, I went to, I went to Delano, I went to, um, also took a couple courses at the University of Delaware, but that's the, the, you know, that's, I took communications, that's what I did. So what I wanted to do was be a newscaster. Well, well. <laughs> that's what I was interested in. I loved that kind of stuff. And, um, but the thing was, you know, the creativity took off and I was always creative. And like my mother told me, you know, you're an artist. And, you know, if I didn't listen to her, I wouldn't be where I am today. And it's her advice and I dropped the whole other thing and went this way. Right. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, it's it's very important to listen to your mothers. Uh, our mothers are very intuitive, and they, they they know the best for us, don't they? <laughs> well, you know, I you know, I always fault my mother on things because I'm very strong-minded and very individual, and um, I'm kind of like her in a way. Right. Um, I, you know, I I do what I want to do, you know, and that's the way I've always been, and I kind yeah. of fought it on the idea, but you know, mom knows the best, I guess. Right. So. What would you say, um, what was the year and the situation really where you got your big break, where you kind of rose to national prominence and became the go-to guy for making over some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry? Well, it started when I did um, Faye Resnick and Kato Kalen. I started getting a lot of recognition, but not until I did Paula Jones. I did Paula Jones, that's when I went clearly off the map into my own realm. Right. And everything started to unfold in front of me and I started getting offers for this and that and international fame and just, it was unbelievable. So, I mean, that really was what made me who I am today was Paula Jones. Right. What, what, what was that whole scene like? I mean, how freaky was that kind of being peripherally involved in the O.J. Simpson trial as someone who, uh, you know, spruced up one of the uh, people testifying there. Okay, I mean, what was Kato Caitlin like? Well, for me, you know, sprucing her up, well, it wasn't just sprucing her up. Um, it was kind of a overhaul, <laughs> which she had no idea or her handlers or anybody knew I was going to do. This happened, I guess, kind of by accident. So really wasn't a plan to make her, you know, this gorgeous woman or whatever you want to say. Um, I was hired, per se, to do another perm for her by her spokesperson and agent. And um, I said I wouldn't do it when I got there. I said, I'm not doing it. There's no way I'm doing another perm. It's ugly, it's cheap, it's, it was terrible. And I ended up, and I looked at her and her handler, and I said, you know, you gotta trust somebody here because I saw your, I didn't know who she was actually when I first like was aware of her. I didn't know who she was because I wasn't paying attention at the moment because I was so busy. Right. But the thing was, I said to her, and I put her occasion, I said, you gotta trust somebody here because she's so not liked and oh my God, she's just like the ugliest woman in the world, they're saying. <laughs> so, you know, 
you know, you got to trust me or I'm going to go or I'm going to leave. So that was how it started. And then Paula said, sure. And they both said, sure. And I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And that's that. Turned Paula away from the mirror. I started doing what I did. Now that makeover has been described as jaw dropping. Um, how do you handicap the 2016 election, Daniel? Who do you think, out of all the crop uh, of candidates, has the best style and best panache that you've seen so far? Well, it seems that everyone's falling for Rubio's and his movie star looks. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the beauty, but not the brains. If that's what we're going to base the president on for who we're going to vote, well, we kind of did that with Obama in a way. They all fell for him, too, thinking he was hot. Yeah, I, I'd love to. I'd love to uh, sick you on Bernie Sanders. Have you seen his hair at all? Oh my God, very. He's, he's so geriatric looking. It's scary. He, I mean, the public is really not interested in. I guess him because of his old look. Yeah, well, that, you know what, I mean? what do you do with something? like yeah, that? Yeah, what, what do you do with that, Daniel? How do you fix that? <laughs> well, that you can fix that, believe it or not, but it's got to be. He has to pick up an energy. It's also an energy of somebody around you. you have to, like that's what I do a lot. Even with, when I work with Pamela Anderson or these other women or whoever, Marilyn Manson, my energy sometimes is what changes their look as well. So they kind of feed off. They feed off you a little somebody. bit. Yeah. And um, that's what he might need as well. He needs an energy brought to him, plus some fine tuning with his looks and his demeanor, the way he's presenting himself. Because I just don't do hair and clothes and all that. Hmm. I go into Right. So it's, so it's a lot of that, you know? Right. There's so much more than just, you know, what you're looking at on the outside. There's also going to be a little bit of change from within, you're saying. Yeah, it's not just parting your hair to the left or the right, you know what I mean? It goes way beyond that, so. Right. And, and, and since we're touching on politics, um, I did a little digging into your background. You know, don't worry, nothing bad. And um, I noticed that you... can't <laughs> <laughs> Um, I noticed that you uh, have hung out with uh, Julie Nixon Eisenhower and David Eisenhower, the, uh, the the children of presidents who married each other. Yes. What, what was that like? Are you friends with them, or was that just kind of a casual dinner? Or? Oh, no, they're family friends. And um, it's been for, I don't know how many years now. And, oh, I love Julie and David, and I just was having dinner with them last year. Because when I go back east, because they're from back east, so right. when we're back east, you know, we all have the family dinners and blah, blah, blah. Talking about branding and imaging and stuff, you know, Richard Nixon, um, you know, obviously very vilified when he left the White House and what was that, 74, uh, when, he, you know, when he resigned. But I mean, a lot of people are kind of taking another look at Richard Nixon and he's kind of becoming a little more popular these days. I know, isn't that true? It's funny. Um, I was just talking to my sister about this because there's a chart um, that I'm involved in with, say, Resnick and all her connections and all that. And, and it was so weird because Richard Nixon's name was on that chart. My sister's like, Richard Nixon's like everywhere. I go, I know. He's like the most hated president, they always say, or whatever. But then it's like everyone like knows him and talks about him and likes him. It's like right. a weird fascination with him. Right. Well, uh, one thing a lot of people don't know, if you're into history like I am, um, Richard Nixon has the highest IQ of any president of all time. Well, I think from knowing the family, I feel that, you know, he's a very a nice man. I never met him, of course, but Richard Nixon and, um, you know, the media can do spins on people, right. and, you know, an unfair spin, but, right. you know, from what I understand, he's a very down-to-earth man. 
Yeah, and, and, and there's actually, um, not to get too deep into it, but there's there's some evidence to suggest that he was kind of set up a lot more about Watergate than he was actually involved. Could be. We, I don't know if we weren't there, but it could be. Yeah, that's definitely something I would ask. Um, I would ask Julie about maybe next time you, if you guys are having martinis or something. <laughs> I know, really. Surely, by the way. <laughs> yeah, do you think you what was your dad set up? What really happened there? <laughs> another thing, maybe another another uh, good Eisenhower question too is his farewell address. He mentioned uh, uh, beware the influence of the military industrial complex. That's something I would love to have a discussion with uh, Mr. Eisenhower about. Oh my God, so I have to invite you to the dinner. <laughs> yeah, next time you're out east, Dan will say hi. I know these twins; they're uh, they're pretty astute. Uh, their their fashion's a little in question, but uh, so make like, them talk amongst yourselves. I'll be back. <laughs> you, you can dress us up before we go to dinner. Yeah, you'll have to give us a makeover, Daniel, before we go to that dinner. Oh my God, <laughs> we have to make you two over. Bye. I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on, let's go. I would love that. That could be another <laughs> episode of twins. twins. Yeah, yeah. do it, twins. Yeah, now, now Daniel, have you uh, actually? You have made over twins. You did the Barbie twins, right? Yes, and you didn't mention Pamela Anderson in my intro. My big celebrity client. Well, Pam was going to have her own subsection. We were going to. I was going to ask. I know, you, but I'm just I'm bringing that up because I have to say it. But anyway, back to the Barbie twins. Yeah, um, the Barbie twins. Um, what, I mean, what was that like? How, what, what kind of personality do they have? Are they like one entity? I mean, because I know my brother and I can really finish each other's sentences and oftentimes know what, what the other's thinking. I mean, what were they like? They're pretty much that same way. They um, can finish each other's sentences. You could say one thing to one of them separately and go to the other one and tell them the same thing or ask them the same thing. And they'll both answer almost the same answer. It's very bizarre. It's exactly. Like we're twins, same you know. Conversation. Um, yep. But the thing is with them, you know, they can be a little difficult. Everybody knows. But with me, I've had a great run with them, and they're friends of mine, and they're very into animals like I am. I love animals. That's boring, I'm sure. But, you know, it's just, we're all into that kind of stuff. And it's very hard when you're twins. Um, this is from a professional point of view, what I do, is to work with two identical twins and make them look exactly the same on the photo shoot. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's not. You, you have to understand that. I mean, it's like posings or whatever, and sure. there has to be a certain way, and a lot of people have walked out on them, I've been told by them, really? um, when they're on shoots, and I, I get the whole idea. It's like, to me, it's like no problem at all, you know? Yeah, you have so, the, you're gritty. You got the grit. You hung in there. Yeah, I mean, I can I can sit there. I can tell them apart. That's one thing a lot of people can't. I can tell them apart the minute I see them. Wow. You so know, that a lot of people don't because, you know, they can play games with people like they told me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's you can't the, pull that over on me. That's the point of being a twin, Daniel. You just get to fuck with everybody and see what happens, you know? I know. That's why I'm asking. Are you guys really two guys or is it just one? <laughs> What's oh, going on over there? There's two of us, Daniel. But I'll, we'll send you pictures. Yeah, we'll send you proof. Don't you worry. Are you throwing your voice? Is that it? <laughs> the, Jack, the Jackman twins is a very real thing. When is Daniel DeCrecio? <laughs> and, um, right, so that's, that's a good segue into my next uh, question I want to talk about. The first time you kind of came into my radar, Daniel, obviously, was I was watching a big fan of the Ali G show. And, um, you know, which was back almost 10 years now, 06, two, 2004, yeah, yeah, 05. And the uh, the Bruno segment interview, uh, basically, I would just, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to kind of bring us through that and how Sasha Baron Cohen's people reached out to you and what that whole process involved. Oh, my God, the whole Bruno thing was such a trip. Um, <laughs> well, I was getting so much notoriety as the Messiah's makeover at one point. Right. It was after Paula Jones, you know, but, well, wasn't it? 2000s when they approached me, um, in the early 2000s, and uh, I got an email basically, and it was from their people wanting to interview me and to, you know pitch. So you know we checked it out, investigated it. It all seemed fine, but it was for MTV Austria. It mm. was not for the Ali G show or any of that. Right. And they were asking to interview the Messiah by. And um, Stefan, who's from MTV Austria, was Steph interviewing me. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I just look at my knees and play. We called the offices and did the deal, and you know, they were really cool because they sent a limousine, they paid me well, right. I mean, all that. And we did. I should have known on April Fool's Day. That yeah. was the day we shot it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and you and got of course it rained because we were supposed to do it on the rooftop with oh. the Hollywood sign behind us, and it was raining. 
Oh, and we ended geez. up going into this building and they had a vacant floor and we ended up using that. That's what you see in it. Yeah, but um, oh. the, whole, the whole time I thought it was Stefan. I'm calling him Stefan the whole interview. Really? I'm gonna have and to... then the uh, funny thing was um, we were in the midst of shooting and he said to me, he looks at me when we're on like a little break kind of, and he goes, boy, you've got a lot of TV, haven't you? And I looked at him and said, yeah, why? And he goes, you can keep up with me. And then we went back to filming though. Wow. And I, I didn't catch on to that right at the moment, but I guess it went on and on, and I guess I was supposed to have flipped out and thrown something, you know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, in your mind, this was just an Austrian dude who was talking about fashion and, and wanted your take on the, you know, style of the day and what it meant to be the fashion messiah. Right. And exactly. And the funny thing was, um, you know, he's doing so many weird things. And I was very warned that he was off the wall. Right. The Stefan guy, because it was European, <laughs> and there's a little difference. So. <laughs> My favorite Daniel was when he made you do the 360 and he's like, I will just literally get on my knees and blow you right now. <laughs> I know, I'm like, well, yeah, before we even start. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> it. He's all talk. I mean, I was like, what's with this? He's all talk. <laughs> oh, God, that was so good. I mean, you, you played it You played it like a pro, man. You you were you just kind of rolled with it and, um, oh, God, it's just so funny, hey, look, man. I've been through a lot of BS, man. Sure. And I grew up back east with wolves, so for me that sure. was nothing. You know, that was right. like right. You, you kind of. I, I was trained well. I'm gonna say that. Right, and in you know, Hollywood, man, you've probably seen every scam under the sun. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, back to Bruno though. The, on the knee pose yeah. when we were doing interviews. Oh, yeah, when you guys are on your knees. <laughs> we're we're yeah, like Siegfried and Roy. That was my idea. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that was great. Because I was wearing that leather outfit, and he was like, let's lay on the ground in the interview, right? And I said, no, because I can't get up quick enough. Because I'm too tight with the leather. <laughs> Will is done with the He goes, well, what can you do? I go, well, let's do this. I did the one knee. I I can jump up quick that way. <laughs> no, yeah, when, when, that, when that first shot comes into frame, it's just it's just so good. <sighs> it's just so good, Daniel. I mean, it's, it, I love it, man. It was so brilliant. It's art, man. So, um, so you went through the interview process, and then were you kind of like, okay, well, is this where is this going to air? Where am I going to be able to see this? Were you kind of concerned about that? Well, they told us beforehand when we did the deal with them that it was only going to be seen in Austria. Little to my surprise. <laughs> Little to your surprise, I saw it in America. <laughs> <laughs> I was everywhere. I was in shock, and you know, I had a friend of mine because we took a photo of me and. Um, Sasha after the interview with Stefan of course you know right so um I was like so I'm like this is so weird I never did a weird interview like this really ever I was thinking about it and I shot I emailed that picture to one of my friends in another state and they go oh that's Valley G and I'm like what no way watch TV I'm not a TV watcher no way I said oh shit (laughs) (laughs) so that that was the moment Daniel where you knew you'd been had I knew I'd been had, so when I went to the Bruno premiere for the movie, then I saw him in the after party, and I walked up to him and I said, I'm going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it, it, that, would, that would permeated our consciousness so much that I, my buddy and I, who showed, my buddy who showed that to me, he had HBO and I didn't. Uh, we, I'd get to school on Monday, and I'd look at him, and I would just go, Will is Daniel DeCrisio. <laughs> <laughs> when is Daniel DeCrisio? When is Daniel DeCrisio? What does that mean? Still, I don't even know. What does Will and Daniel DeCrisio mean? Spoof of the fashion. Yeah, yeah he was just—he was just being like ridiculous. Esoteric. Like, what? What? When? <laughs> where? Why? Will? You know, will. basically. Yeah. yeah. Will, will. Will. Hey, it made me famous. That wine. I swear. I've had so much from people. They really? know my Facebooks and all that kind of stuff. And taking person to me on the street. It puts you on the radar, man, of a lot of people, and I think that's beautiful, man. And uh, good sport you know, about it. Yeah, you're a good sport about it, and I love how you handled it. I think that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? You got to sink or swim, so I was swimming. <laughs> that's just very true. That's very true. I was doing the breaststroke. I was doing the backstroke. I was just chilling. <laughs> So you got Jesus, Daniel. I mean, what do you do with them? Do you kind of give them, a, you know, like like a fade Some look? Ripped jeans. Ripped yeah. jeans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome, man. Um, 
Oh, God, I, such, I still have a good laugh about that. I, I, I always tell my friends to watch that on YouTube. And a lot of people were asking me about, you know, who I'm going to interview next for the podcast. And I said, well, you know, this really interesting um, guy who's out in Hollywood who is a stylist and image consultant of the stars. And then... He's uh, the makeover messiah. He's the, yeah, he's the makeover messiah. And then I, you know, show them the clip and then I show them, you know, some other stuff you've done. And um, I've been following on Twitter there, Daniel. Tell me a little bit about this um, hair documentary that, that I've seen. I mean, what what is that all about and who was involved with that and what, what was your uh, role in that? Oh, that's amazing, the hair documentary. Um, well, I was approached at an animal event by the people who were actually putting that together and making the movie, and they asked me about my hair and said, would I be interested in being in this documentary? And I was like, well, of course, because they're like, you know, your hair is amazing and blah, blah, blah. So, of course, you know, we go shoot it, and we have a lot of really cool people in it. We have Rosaria Dawson's in it. Mm, um, Deborah Skelton from Mad TV's in it. I'm in it, of course. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it's a great documentary. Just one best documentary at the IFS Film Fest in Beverly Hills. Oh. Over the weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Congratulations. And um, it's really cool, though. It's a really cool movie with a cool message, and I'm just very honored and also grateful to have been asked to be part of it. That's fantastic. Now, Daniel, uh, you know, names like Pam Anderson, Anna Nicole Smith, Stevie Nicks, the Barbie Twins, Marilyn Manson, who has been your favorite to work with and what um, is the most interesting story you have from working with someone like that? I'll have to say Pamela Anderson's been my most amazing client I've worked with, um, most fun. And one of the funny things is, well, this is a cute short story, but I love doing Pam because you can do all that then, I guess now because you're short hair, but with the big over-the-top hair and all that with her sexuality. Oh, yeah. And she's one of the most amazing posers I've ever seen. I've worked with. I mean, she's just like, turn on and bam, you just sit there and watch her, you're like, damn, you know? <laughs> but, um, we're in Hawaii, and this is really funny, but back when we did Baywatch, Hawaiian Wedding, oh, yeah. I brought these clippings that were mine, these hair pieces, and I put them in her hair, and so after we had been shooting, she went down and goes, Daniel, I guess you want your hair back, don't you? Because <laughs> 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 your hair is so pretty. Yeah, your hair is so beautiful. How do I make her hair so beautiful? Yeah, because no, it's your hair. <laughs> well, because it's mine now. She has great hair. But the thing is, you know, Pam is something that everybody, I don't care if you love her hair, she's another controversial figure. And But I'll tell you something, when you say Pamela Anderson, people's mouths always drop. Oh, yeah, amazing that girl. She got some power. I don't know what that is, man. She got hey, it, so. Every Every guy, I mean, I'm 28, man. Every guy either stole... Um, snuck or or got Playboy with Pam Anderson on it and has good memories of that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I, mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, I, Daniel, we owe you some gratitude for making her look as good as she looked. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you the little of that, but she's naturally gorgeous. You know that, but, you know, she, she got it, though. But I'll, I'll take a bow. Of course but, I will. Hey, absolutely. <laughs> you got to, man. I mean, she... But she, remember, I've seen all these women naked now. Oh, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> For all you guys out there, I'm the lucky guy right now. Well, maybe I could do an internship with you and we could, uh, you know, go on some shoots or something. Exactly. And um, I worked with Kid Rock and Pam was amazing. Oh, that was yeah. really fun. Kid Rock, wow. You know? Kid Rock, man, he's, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, he seems, you know, he likes to hang out at Waffle House and he's pretty down to earth, right? Well, that's the thing. Some guys, you know... They have a little attitude, especially if they're in show business. And Kid Rock was, like you said, down to earth, and he was very nice to me. And, you know, I just won't forget that. It was really cool how he is, you know? So. Right. All right, Daniel, well, we're going to wrap up. So before we wrap up, um, can you just tell the people where they can find, uh, like, a portfolio of your work, how they could um, look at the accomplishments you've had in your career, and then just kind of, uh, you know? Twitter. 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 Yeah, well, Twitter. All over the internet. I'm everywhere. You can Google me, Facebook me, you can model man me, everything. There's all these sites <laughs> nowadays. And even my website, DanielDeCrisio.net. Yep. And you can see that as well. It's my official website. We'll put a link and, to that. And um, I also do music, so you can go to iTunes and check out all my music because I opened for Grace Jones before. And oh. I did a concert with the Little Housewives of Orange County as my backup dancers in Anaheim. And so oh, I did it around. Yeah, 
That's and look for other projects of mine coming up. Um, reality shows I'm working on. I have a secret deal I can't talk about, but okay. You know, so. Yeah, so keep an eye out. I'll be around. Well, we are very intrigued. Daniel, um, I just want to thank you for your time and calling in, and it's been uh, it's been a joy. I think we've all learned something new today. And, uh, you know, anytime you're back out east in Delaware, New Hampshire, is not a far car ride. Yeah, I'll tell Julie you said hi. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, thank yes. you so much, Daniel. <laughs> all right, you guys. Take care. All right. You be well, Daniel. Bye from Beverly Hills. Daniel DeCrecio, everybody, the fashion messiah. The makeover messiah. <laughs> makeover messiah. The, make the messiah of makeover, baby. <laughs> All right, I'm out. Beautiful. Bye. Take good care, Daniel. So that was Daniel DeCrecio joining oh, us from Beverly Hills. Uh, excellent, excellent interview. It's just, you know, Jacqueline Radio, uh, this is a first for us, really. I mean, we... Uh, we, we have, you know, guests on from a wide, you know, wide spectrum of uh, personalities. I mean, we'll, we'll have the, the former White House chief of staff on one day. We'll have an author on one day, a filmmaker. And then one day we'll have a guy like Daniel DeCreasio on. I'm bummed he hung, he hung up because usually we kind of chat with the guys yeah, after well, they go. I'll give him a call back. You, no, you don't have to call him for me. But I did. The question I was going to ask is that, you know, I'm a big Manson fan. And yeah. he, 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 you know, he Manson has a different um like era with every every album like so he's gone through a lot of different right like there were there was a period where everyone thought marilyn manson was a woman because he because he had that album where he, where he yeah. Where he, yeah he was like yeah. that that anthrop anthropomorphic i, to, I, two era, and I wanted to ask him i want i wanted to ask him what era because i have my favorite manson like eras sure. and some are Don't better show. than others so i was kind of wondering you know what uh, kind of well we'll have to do a follow up yeah, with Daniel yeah. or we'll have to just get him when he's next time he's visiting Delaware we'll just or, get I him mean, in the studio you, you said he's been out there for 20 years maybe maybe he's just been working with Manson for the last 20 years but it could be it could be um, all the way back to the wonder years but his Manson's last <laughs> like he he had an album that was uh, the golden age of grotesque where the the his style was like fucking awesome just yeah. really really cool everything was very um you know the stylized and um you know like kind of um ex exposed i guess you would call it and right um was that during mechanical animals no that After? was the that was the album with the tits that he had the right tits. yeah yeah he was kind of doing the whole jackie <laughs> yeah. kennedy thing was that yeah Coma white dope show was on there yeah Coma, Coma white, white. Um, i like i love that dope song. show was on there too yeah um Marilyn Manson's a freaking artist. I mean, you know, Daniel DeCreasio's an artist. Daniel DeCreasio is an artist. Here at Jack and Radio, we love artists of all variety. I hate them. about art, man. Hate them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. No good. Artists. I we don't trust them. So, again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Um, Daniel DeCreasio, the fashion messiah. Uh, messiah of makeover, excuse me. Great interview. Lovely guy. You can check him out on Twitter. And uh, signing off for tonight, I'm Eric Jackman. I'm Mike Jackman. Have a great night, and we'll see you soon. The tragedy takes way too long And you're concerned with consequences Well, so am I The waiting rooms are all the same The hospitals still haunt me, honey And you